to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join guest preacher J.D. Ullhorn with this week's message. What does wisdom look like to you? Does gray hair and a walking cane, does that look like wisdom? Well, maybe it's tassels. Maybe tassels and a long black gown. Maybe that's the picture of wisdom for you, right? You see people growing up and they're in that and they've graduated. They've hit another point. Maybe high school, maybe college, maybe now they have a degree. Is that wisdom to you? Well, speaking of school, let's say you were walking down the halls of a school and you saw a group of teachers there. They're all in the circle talking to one another. Do you think you could accurately point out which one of them is the wisest? Oh, well, looks can be deceiving, right? You don't know. There is no guarantee that you're actually going to be able to point out wisdom, right? That your best guess reflects reality. It's not easy for us just to go, ah, here is wisdom, or over here, here is a lack of wisdom. Oh, we might be tempted, right, to follow along, follow all the stereotypes, think we have it figured out, but really, this morning, we're clearly going to see wisdom, and we're clearly going to see what kind of wisdom is best. And that's really what today is all about. That's what this series is about as well, as we are doing some soul searching. You guys have been following along and talked about origin, right? Where you come from. It's important to start right there. This is what we need to know. And then it built into talking about meaning, talking about our purpose, talking about, okay, so where do we go from here? Now that we have the foundation, how do I know what I'm doing is meaningful and that I matter and that God cares about me? We're building on that today. We're going to see it so much by finding out what kind of wisdom is best. And as we're doing this soul searching, well, we're really kind of going against a popular worldview, right? Because as a Christian, you stand out. That's just the fact of the matter. If you're holding on to what God says, who Jesus is, who you are in him, well, you're really going to stand out. And it seems like you can be going one way and everyone else. People and other ideas are going in the exact opposite direction. So normally I would say, yeah, don't follow the crowd, right? Don't just go off blindly and follow that majority. But this morning... Really, I'm kind of going to ask you to do exactly that. Like, I want you to be a part of the crowd. I want you to be a big part of the masses that are gathered here. I want you to be able to take in all the sights and the sounds of the street. I want it to be as if you are right there following along step by step, statement by statement with the book of Acts. So we are going to jump in to chapter four. Well, you push your way through a plethora of people. You're trying to navigate through the masses because you want to get up front. You want to get a little bit closer, but it's pretty hard. You're not really going anywhere. And if that for you means you're thinking about DC traffic, then that might be a good picture. I just found that out recently. If you picture the I-95, that's kind of what it's like. You're trying to get somewhere, 
but it's difficult. But it's difficult. But you want to get a little bit further. You want to get up front because there are two men. There are two men up there who are speaking loudly and clearly in this place, this large space called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, everyone else around you, just how packed it is, this entire crowd, well, they are amazed. They're amazed because there's been this awesome display of power. And see, what has happened is that there is a man who was crippled. He was really crippled from birth, had this uh, issue that was totally resolved. All of a sudden, the man who was crippled, unable to walk, is now standing totally upright. It's as if nothing has ever affected him before. That's why the crowd is amazed. And so really, this is bringing a lot of questions right to your mind. You have at least a couple of big questions. Okay, so how did this happen? How did this happen? How did a man who was crippled then suddenly gain that ability to walk? And really, who are these two men? You know, everyone is gathered around. Everyone seems to want to go and to listen to them. So who are they? And is there some connection here? Well, again, you're working your way, getting a little bit closer. You start to realize that the two men who are up front, well, they're talking about God. And specifically, they're talking about Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah. That's what you've heard. He's the Messiah, the one who was promised from long ago. So as you get closer and you start to understand, well, that then really becomes the message that you want to take in. Yeah, tell me more. Tell me more about this Jesus. I want to know. I want to soak it all in. And so you get that opportunity for a few minutes, but then, but then kind of in the background, there's this little commotion. There's this commotion that comes up. And so you, you turn your head and you look back to see uh, another group. It's a group of men and they all, they seem to be pretty prominent. And you're really saying that because of the way that they're dressed. It's just very fancy. It sticks out. It sticks out from the rest of the crowd. You see how they're dressed and the hats that they wear on their head. So you imagine they must have some power, right? They must have some influence. But they're making noise. They're trying to get up front too. And it's clear as they get a little bit closer to the spot where you're standing, that they're, they're upset, right? For all their, their fancy clothes and everything, you think they would be stately, but their faces tell another story. No, they're disgruntled, they're disturbed, and you hear them talking, they're actually upset with the two guys who are up front. The two guys who are talking about Jesus, the fact that they're explaining the resurrection of the dead, talking about how that all happens in Jesus. Well, they're upset. But, but for these guys, well, they're able to get up to the front a lot faster than you're able to. That's what you notice, right? People almost seem to just step out of the way. They're letting them through. And really then it makes sense because it clicks in your mind. You start to recognize, oh, I know who these people are. Well, these are the leaders, right? The leaders of the city, but also the leaders of the church. There's even the captain of the temple guard. <laughs> All this is going on. So of course, people are stepping out of the way and they're able to get through. Now, as soon as they do, as soon as they get within striking distance of the two men who are up front, they lay their hands on them and they whisk them away. And just take them off. Take them off from up front. Take them off the stage. They're gone away and it leaves you 
it leaves everybody else, right? This entire massive crowd just to wonder, well, what's going to happen to them? Right? What, what is their fate? Well, you've never been around this kind of buzz before. It's really amazing. It's something just so electric that's going through the crowd because you have a bunch of people over here. They are still recounting, still retelling that whole story, seeing what had happened with the man who was crippled, right? This is amazing healing. They're still wondering, how did it happen? And isn't it incredible? And you've got even more of the crowd, right? Even more of the crowd is talking about that message of Jesus. It's that message of Jesus that really hit the heart like no other. No, everyone is still very excited. They're jazzed up. But the sun is starting to set and it's becoming evening. And so they decide to head home. And, and really, you're going to do the same thing. But before you go, before you leave this whole scene, well, you make a plan. And you tell yourself, hey, I'm going to show up right here again in the morning as soon as I can because I want to know. I want to know what, what happened to these two guys and what's the story. How does this all connect? So it's the very next day. It's the very next day. You wake up, you get out, you're ready to go again. And, and that day, it carries really the same level of excitement as the day before, if not more. Because that's what you really are noticing, right? You're noticing that there's a lot more going on. As you recognize the group, right? The group that made that, that disturbance the other day, that they're back. But there's even more up front. It seems like they have invited all of the leaders Right? Anyone who has a notable position in the city or even just outside of it, they've invited them to come in and be right here, right on site for this investigation. Now, the two men who are speaking up front, who are talking about Jesus, talking about the resurrection of the dead, well, then they come out and you learn from the people next to you, yeah, they just spent the night in prison. They were, they were held over there just for the night and now... Right now, this, this trial is going to take place. And the leaders, they're going to investigate. They're going to interrogate these two men. And so over all of the crowd noise, well, now it catches your attention because it said, it said so loudly, by what power or what name did you do this? A hush that goes over the entire establishment. Well, this much, this much is true. You can tell that those leaders, right? All of those leaders of the city, of the church, those experts of the law, they are very concerned about the power, right? The power of which these two men apparently did this miraculous healing. How did it happen? That question, well, it really rings in your own head, right? By what power or whose name did they do this? How did this happen? Aren't these just, you know, regular guys? I mean, they just seem like blue-collar workers. They, they don't even fit in. They don't even fit in with the scholars or, or with the students of the city. And it's very clear, right? If the, leaders, if the leaders are skeptical, then you're not alone, right? You're not alone in thinking this way. But then one of the two guys, his name is Peter. Peter, he steps forward and he's going to speak now. And when he does, well, it just, 
amazes you, right? You are caught off guard. You are just surprised with the amount of confidence and boldness with which he speaks. He says, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And now, now your head starts to spin a little bit because Peter, Peter is really being prosecuted for, for what? For picking up a man who could not walk, dusting off his shoulders, and then literally restoring his ability to walk. That was the most amazing thing that had been done for that man in years. It's incredible. It's incredible, but, but it's also kind of strange. It's also kind of strange because well, Peter's not taking any of the credit for this amazing work. Right? No, he, he's totally answered the question, right? The question that was put out in front of Peter and his companion, John, by what power or whose name did you do this? He really answers both of them, right? He says, what power and whose name? He addresses the whole crowd. He says, it's Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's whose name, that's whose power. Really, it seems kind of odd, right? It's still odd because that's exactly what Peter got in trouble for the other day, right? The whole reason that he was taken away, the whole reason that he's in this big mess now is because he was talking about Jesus. And now here he is doing it again, right? And the very first question, he's bringing up the name of Jesus. It just doesn't seem wise, right? If anyone, if he had a little bit of common sense, probably would have stood back a little bit, probably quieted down, just kind of laid low, wanted to go along so that he could make sure everything was going to be all right for, for himself, for his buddy, John. That's not what he does, right? He just doesn't take that route, does something that seems to to go totally against, right, wisdom. Just in general, he, he brings up the name of Jesus again. And he doesn't just talk about Jesus, but he actually is taking one step further. It's not enough for him just to talk about Jesus, but he's actually kind of putting a counter accusation back at his own accusers. Because when he said Jesus, he said, Jesus, whom you crucified. Now think about that. Well, wasn't that long ago Right When those very leaders, those leaders of the city, those leaders of the church, they had done away with Jesus. And they did so kind of in the similar situation of what's going on right now. It was by this, this unfair trial right, where they were trying to peg, peg so many crimes against Jesus, but they really couldn't, right? They really didn't have any basis. They didn't have anything like that. Even the witnesses that they brought forward, right? Their stories didn't even match up. No, they couldn't do that. It was totally unfair. But they still did away with Jesus, so much so that they put him to death. That, that Jesus was crucified, put to death on the cross. Well, Peter, well, he absolutely had a case, right? Against his own accusers when he says, Jesus, whom you crucified. But then, you start to slowly come to the realization that Peter's not just really talking about all those guys who are 
who are up front. Now, really, Peter is talking to you too, right? He said, you and, and all the people of Israel. He's addressing that entire crowd. And he says, Jesus, whom you crucified. Well, could, could that be? Jesus, who, whom I crucified? Could it be, as he said, am I really to blame as well? Sadly, yes. Sadly, yes, all the way, right, from the blatant acts of violence, that you have carried out down to the times when you have elevated your own wisdom. Put it above even God's own wisdom. God's wisdom that Jesus himself talked about while he was here on the earth. Jesus was doing that. Jesus constantly, he spoke God the Father's commandments. He says, you have heard, do not murder. And maybe you really feel like the man who is in our gospel lesson when you heard that. You say, okay, yeah, I can check that box. I should be all good there, right? There is nothing to worry about, God. Nothing to worry about, Jesus. I'm doing all right. And and that's tempting, but then Jesus goes on, right, to explain exactly what that means. You have heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you the truth, right? If anyone is angry with his brother or sister or neighbor, enemy, whoever, and they resort, right? They, They lash out using their fists or or even their words, even their thoughts, subject to judgment before God. That's how deep it goes. That's how far down our sin goes. And, And Jesus talks about that, right? Even if we consider anyone to be our enemy instead of hating them or despising them, which is totally, right, our natural inclination to do. Now, Jesus goes over here. He says something different, Jesus says, love them. Love them. Love your enemies. Even the ones who treat you poorly. Even the ones that you can't stand to be around. He says, love them and even pray for them. Wow. That's something you haven't done. That's something you certainly haven't done perfectly. No, Jesus came. Jesus came to set the record straight. He came to set the record straight about our sin. Right, to show us just how through and through that's our problem, that our problem is sin. But Jesus also came to set the record straight in another way. And he came to set our record of sin straight so that it could be done away with, so that we could be realigned with God, so that we could be given his righteousness. Right? This is Jesus' mission. This is why he came to earth. Yes, he's going to talk about God the Father's commands. He's going to make sure we know where we are and who we are, and the problem that goes on inside of us that is in our hearts. But Jesus' mission, right, is to point us back, is to give us the righteousness that we don't have. And so I'm thankful, and you're thankful as well, right, that even Peter, Peter did not stop there with his accusation, right? He didn't just say, Jesus, whom you crucified. Yeah, and leave it. No, he followed up his accusation with restoration. He says, Jesus, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. You see, God really always has the perfect solution. And it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, just take, for example, what you've seen now. You've seen the awesome display of power. It was a man who was crippled from birth, one who was probably looked down upon for his disability. And what did God do? God healed him. 
God healed him and he had such an express purpose for it. Because what happened is that that was the avenue which so many people could then hear about Jesus. So many people would hear and so many people would then come to faith because they have heard the word. That's what God was doing there. God healed a man and restored him. And that is amazing. But he was doing so much more. He was doing so much more right there, reaching out to so many other people so that they could know about Jesus, so that they could know about their Savior. Well, speaking of Jesus, right? Let's take a look at that. Jesus. Jesus, it's God's only son whom he sent to to save humanity. And yet what happened, Jesus was handed over. Jesus was given into death at the hands of heartless humanity. And yet what did What did God do? God raised him from the dead. See, God always has the perfect solution. And that's really it. Because you think about Jesus, you think about Jesus up there on that cross, and that doesn't look like victory, right? That doesn't look like wisdom. That doesn't look like God is in control there. No, it seems like the power of our own sin, the power of the devil, the power of death is all taking its toll No, God was still in control. And taking that, even that moment where Jesus, the hope of all the nations, was up there on that cross, God did not let him stay in that grave. God's perfect solution was to raise him from the dead, was to raise him from the dead so that you know, so that you have confidence. So that's something that you take with you, that you take with you every day. Even as you think about your baptism, right? I'm brought in to God's family You have that assurance because of the resurrection of the dead. God's perfect solution. Jesus lives. That means that you live too. And so the heat of the guilt that that you felt just a moment ago, because you know, yeah, I haven't been following God's commands. I'm not perfect. No, the heat of that guilt, well, it just, it fades away. And instead what comes in is this calming wave of comfort Because now you've seen God's power in action. You've seen it again, not just in the healing of a man, but now in the life of Jesus. That by Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, that is the power of salvation for all who believe. So of course, so of course, Peter is not going to stop talking about Jesus, right? Peter is all the more enthusiastic to bring up the name of Jesus again, even if it doesn't seem wise, even if it doesn't seem like that's common sense at all. No, he wants to do that. And he wants to continue to give people wonderful reasons to learn more, to know more about Jesus, to know more about their Savior. It says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You go back to that first part, right? You understand what Peter was saying. It's just as Peter said, Jesus was met with resistance. It's not just his followers. It's not just you and me that that feel that now, right? Jesus himself was met with resistance. And think about the leaders, right? Those leaders of the city and the church, those prominent men, who have all of the knowledge, who have to seem cornered the market there, they were supposed to be building up the church, right? All of those who gather inside, supposed to build them up. And yet they missed their most important building block by a mile. It's not just that they 
missed him, but they outright rejected him. No, those leaders, those experts of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of them, they spent their time plotting against Jesus, right? against Jesus so much that they were looking for a way to kill him, to get rid of him. And so they spent their time doing that, but they were a little afraid of the people, right? Because Jesus was winning over many followers. So many wanted to hear what Jesus was talking about. So they would go in and they would still just try to trip him up, right? In a little way, whatever they could. Can we get Jesus to, to stumble on his words? So they go in and they ask him really tough questions, right? Sometimes philosophical, sometimes political. They were just trying to see, can we get this guy to break? Well, they never could. They never could, right? Not even at a single point did they get Jesus to, to make a mistake, right? Or, or to, to misspeak. And even more than that, and maybe this is something you don't really think about. I don't know if it's something I really thought about until this. Start to understand, remember they were trying to kill Jesus? Really, they never even accomplished that, right? It wasn't them who truly did away with Jesus or put Jesus to death. Because when we read through the Gospels, when we see exactly what happened with Jesus, we hear Jesus speak on the cross, right? He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last and that's amazing, right? It wasn't them who took Jesus' life, but it was actually Jesus who gave up his life. Jesus was the one who gave up his life. And so, of course, Peter rightfully says, salvation is found in no one else. Right? Who else could do what Jesus did? Who else could go and be completely blameless before the sight of God? Only Jesus. Who would go and be raised, right? Raised to glory, raised to reign forever at the right hand of God, the Father, all times and over all things, only Jesus. So it was only the name of Jesus that mattered, right? When Peter was talking, it wasn't Peter's own name. It wasn't his companion, John, though they had done amazing things. It wasn't any of the leaders or the experts of the law. It wasn't their name that needed to be brought up or given an answer to that original question, what power, whose name? No, it was only the name of Jesus that mattered. And now, right now it's, it's not just you began to take a note. But even the ones who first accused him, they are starting to put two and two together. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and recognized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See those leaders, the prominent people of the city, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It was very clear. It was very clear that Peter and John had something, somebody, really someone extraordinary in their lives and it totally shined through. And so that's really what you want people to notice about you as well. You want people to notice that you've been with Jesus, right? That the peace that you have each day, each night, that that peace that you have, it comes from Jesus. That the wisdom that you carry, the knowledge that you cherish, really it all goes back to Jesus, right? Jesus' words, what he says, his promises. 
That's what it's about. Your wish is for people to recognize Jesus in your life. And it's not just that Jesus is in your life, right? But it's Jesus is your life. That's where your power comes from. That's where your peace comes from. It comes from Jesus, that Jesus is the one who gives you the best kind of wisdom. So you resolve. Yeah, that's what I want people to know about me as well, right? Can they recognize that I've spent time with Jesus? Because I know Jesus, right? You know Jesus and you love him. You love spending time with him. You love gathering your family together around him and around his word so that we can hear again, so that we can be strengthened, so that we can be reminded, so that we can taste forgiveness. That's exactly it. You want that too. It doesn't matter what your place is in life. It doesn't matter where you stand on the social spectrum, but that people can recognize Oh, he knows Jesus. Oh, she really likes listening to Jesus. That's what you want people to know. So all that is left is silence. After a couple of insane days of hustle and bustle, of bringing men to to trial and throwing them away and then bringing them back and questioning them, after all of this, those leaders, those experts in the law, they can do nothing but be silent because there is nothing more to say. There is nothing more to say. The man who had been healed was still standing there right in front of them. Peter had said everything with his confession. He had so clearly again brought up Jesus, spoke the truth, spoke it in love. He said, the wisdom of Jesus, that, that is the best kind of wisdom. That's what lets us know the most. That's what lets us know and be assured of our salvation. So what does wisdom look like to you? Again, it's tough. It's tough because we get so easily caught up on the outward appearance, right? We want to notice how someone looks. We want to see how many plaques they have on their wall. And if we're not getting caught up on that, well, then maybe we're going a little too far inside, Because that's our tendency, is to go far inside, put our wisdom above others, put our wisdom above God. But that's why we're here today. That's why we're gathering around the word as we're soul searching, as we're seeking into wisdom. What is true wisdom? What is this knowledge? We're going directly to the word because the word does this. The word shows us our sins. It really does let us feel the weight of our sins. Let us see the depth of our sins so that we know can't do this on our own. We know that this is a problem. And if something is not done, then we're in trouble. And we're in trouble with God. But right, but the word of God in that very same breath by Jesus flips everything around. And after showing us our sins, shows us our Savior. Shows us Jesus so that we can see him as clearly as Peter and John saw Jesus. So that we know that Jesus is the one who took care of our sins They're not sins ignored, right? They are sins paid for by Jesus, by God himself, done away with them because he could do that. He could take away everyone's sin and he did. So in Jesus' name, that is where salvation is found. In Jesus' name, that is where we get our wisdom. 
I pray that you have many opportunities to gather around the very word of God and to hear about Jesus again and again. Amen. Amen.